This is Studio Talk with JTEC. Hello there, everybody. This is Jimbo JTEC, welcoming you back to this episode three of my new talk show podcast, Studio Talk with JTEC. We're really getting the ball rolling with this show now. It's been a bit of an irregular schedule so far, as there's been a lot going on over here while I get ready to move to the USA. Today's guest is Jacob Henry of Silk Music, who is pretty much one of the founding fathers of smooth, melodic, progressive house. He and I go way back and can often be found having intense philosophical discussions about not only progressive music, but also electronic music in general, the scene, running a label, and uh, what it all means. And luckily we're entering a new phase where our kind of music is once again uh, given more of a platform than it was before. I found today's chat to be really informative, uh, definitely some interesting viewpoints that I had not considered before, and I hope you guys uh, managed to get some really cool info out of it for your musical ventures as well. There's no real intro to this talk because I kind of hit record on the Skype call and then we got, got talking and then suddenly I realized we were in the midst of the interview without me even realizing it. So uh, I will drop you guys right in. Please enjoy this talk with Jacob Henry. I really wanted to get you on the show because I figure that you are, as far as progressive house goes, you're one of the kind of, you're, you're kind of like a glue that holds a lot of our kind of community together by Thanks, Jimbo. having Thank you. like, you know, the silk label and, and the silk family of labels and basically this big sort of online family that you have. And, uh, it's pretty cool to see how it's kind of grown over the last maybe like five years, you know, you've gone from sort of underground and kind of small time to, to having quite a sort of powerful uh, presence in the music scene. So I'm really interested to just sort of know, especially because, um, you know, I run a label myself and for me, I've been running it for about a year now and, um, it's, it's been getting better and better all the time, but it's still, there's still so many things that I'm learning and, and, and that kind of thing. So I'm basically really, really just keen to know what your sort of inspiration was to start this label in the first place. And, uh, and just sort of just tell us a bit about the, the journey that's that's happened over the over the last sort of few years and 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 how it's all sort of come to come to pass. Sure. Well, um, I, I'll start at the beginning. Uh, I met Max Flyant and the artist Mango, who most fans of melodic progressive house uh, are familiar with at this point back in 2007, I believe um, it may have been actually it may have been just the beginning of 2008, literally after the very first Silk release. Now at that time, the only Silk label was known as Silk Digital Records. And it was founded by, again, Max Flyant, um, the artist Mango, and two other friends, um, one of which is to this day, our graphic designer, Matt, Mike Alexiev. They were all friends from university and uh, they were in their early, early 20s at that time. And it was based around the music of Mango. It was based around this this sort of delicate, sensitive, atmospheric style of melodic progressive house that uh, I think is, is quite unique and was quite unique at that time. And it really just it caught my ear and I fell in love with that style. Um, it, it seemed like something that had, had sort of echoes of Chicane and Robert Miles and some of the artists that I had first been exposed to um, in, as a teenager. And was sort of like this great hybrid of you know modern electronic music with you know the atmosp- atmospheric style of, of those those great ancestors of our genre. So, I mean, I fell in love with I fell in love with that sound, and I remember just writing you know an email a week to uh, to Max and sending him mixes and and kind of just sharing my enthusiasm for the, the movement that they were beginning. And 
you know, long story short, after just a few months, we became very, very good friends. I became really close with, with Alex, uh, Mango, Golovanov and, and Max Flynn, uh, I would say again, within, within just a few months. And, uh, within a year, I started a radio show on behalf of Silk and also became an official co-owner of, of the label. And then we, we started expanding and we started, um, a variety of sub labels. The one that I directly managed was called Silk Royal. We had a chill out division called Silk Sofa. There was a deep house division, Silk Textures. And we also had this label called Arrival, which was initially, we initially conceived it as sort of like the minor leagues of Silk, like recruiting new talent that eventually would become leading artists on our main labels. And then it sort of became its own entity and, and ended up having music that was as good, if not better than the releases that we were putting out on, on Silk Digital and Silk Royal. So we had all these sub labels that in theory had different niches, had, had each had their own niche, but they ended up kind of competing with one another. And, and it ended up being a little very difficult to explain the brand and the concept behind each one. So last year we decided to unify all the labels. And so now we're just Silk Music. Yeah. And that was a really big step. And I think it's a, an important point to make in the context of this conversation about, you know, music business and where it's, where it's heading, being able to have just, you know, one single channel and one single brand in this current market, I think is, is more important than ever because obviously there's, there's, you know, typically one stop on YouTube and one place on Facebook and one place on SoundCloud that people want to go to find each of their favorite labels and artists. And if they have to, um, split their attention between four or five different sub labels. It can get pretty messy yeah, and can end up being counterproductive for the label or, you know, and, or the artist. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a guiding principle behind, uh, rebranding and becoming just silk music last year. Yep. Now I see that, uh, silk as a label it, uh, on your website, it's described as a progressive house, progressive trance, deep house breaks and chill out labels. So is that basically just sort of a, <laughs> that's, that's a conglomeration of all those different sub labels all coming together under, exactly. under the one banner. Now, how do you, exactly. how do you, how do you feel about this idea of, um, basically putting out sort of five different genres of music at the same time? Because I know, I know a lot of people in this industry kind of say like stick to one thing, like just, you know, have one sort of main focus that, that people come to you for, you know, it might be like going to like dead mouse for your fix of progressive house. It might be like going to above and beyond for your fix of trance. Um, And people, people often say it's not so good to to spread yourself so thinly across genres, across a few different styles. But I think what, what makes you and I kind of similar in our ideals is that we've never really been super interested in doing that, you know? And I, th- I think there have been a number of points along the way where I, I was sort of given a choice of like, could I go down this like transfer it route or could I go down this like progressive route or like, you know, what is it that I want to do? And, but for me, it was always like, well, I want to do everything, you know, <laughs> like I just want, I want right. to make, I want to make cool noises and, um, <laughs> and put well, them out there into the world, you know? That's, that's a fair explanation of, you know, for why we continue to release a lot of genres, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're music nerds at the core and we, we can't help ourselves. If we hear a song in, in a drum and bass track that we absolutely love, we just, we can't resist the temptation of releasing it on self music because we did, we were so proud of the, the possibility of being able to associate that song with our label forever, but all things being equal, if you're starting out as a label and you're trying to grow as quickly as possible, 
the, the conventional wisdom is true that it's much easier to brand yourself around one specific style. Um, it's an easier path. Um, it really depends. It depends on what you know your business plan is and what your what your goals are as a professional. It's it's a more difficult road to diversify the sound of your label. We always set out from the very beginning to just release what we consider to be intelligent electronic music. So there, so we never pigeonhole ourselves to just one style. That being said, I think if you were to survey most silk music fans, they would probably tell you that we specialize in you know, melodic progressive house and trance. That's sort of our bread and butter genre association. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, uh, I, I play a ton of your tracks, um, on the podcast. I would, I would say there's hardly ever an episode of JTech music that doesn't have some kind of, of music from the silk family of labels, you know, uh, We're so grateful by the way. Thank you, man. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for, cause we've sort of, we've also, you know, pinched a few of your artists every now and then for Positronic for remixes and stuff like that. So, you know, which is like, cause we just, I don't know, like people like 11.5, Shingo Nakamura, I don't, like there's just, there's just so many, uh, different artists who are just so relevant to everything that I'm playing on the show, you know? And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, we've, we've always had, we've always been kindred spirits and we don't, we don't see positronic. We don't view as positronic as a competitor. We, we see you as an ally in the industry trying to grow this, this scene. It's you know, to the best of your ability. So it's, uh, it's not, it's, it's kind of a friendly thing. I think the first thing, I think I was saying this to you, I think we were hanging out at like uh, electric zoo in New York, um, a few years ago. And I think, yeah. I think what sort of defines the, the sound that we're into is that it's generally like it's music for like pretty cool people, <laughs> which is like, I don't know, there's a bit, there's a bit of hubris in saying that, I suppose, but it's like, I think, uh, this kind of sound is never going to try and take over the world. You know, it's like, it's like, if yeah. you, if you want to take over the world and you want to like crush it and like be, be like winning in the, in the, in the, in the dance music industry or the EDM industry or, or whatever it is. No, it's definitely not going to be the silk music or positronic. You, you uh, have, yeah, you have, you have gonna, to like, that's accomplish that. Exactly. Because, that, yeah. Like, but it's, in order, in order to, to actually do that, you do need to, you do need to streamline like, and you need to, you need to be sort of very cutthroat. And I think you need to be willing to sort of like push people out of your way in order to, in order to get there, you know, which I think just isn't really in line yeah. with the yeah. ethos, you know, like no, I, you I, said, you said that it's that our, our brand is for cool people. Is that what you just said? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I believe that's true, but you know, the irony of that comment is that we're, we're not trying to stylize our music. Right. I mean, this, I, I'd like to think that's what, that's one of the defining characteristics of, of our, our, our scene is that we care about music regardless of the image of the artist behind it. It's in fact, most of our artists don't really have obvious style associations that there are lifestyle associations with their music. It's just for them, it's just a passion. It's a, in many cases, it's a, it's a second job and they're, you know, they, and, and they've always loved producing and they put out their music, but it's not about, it's not about, um, a certain crowd or a certain click that they're trying to appeal to. It's just, it's just music for music's sake. So yeah, I, I agree that it's, it's cool, but it's not cool in the sense of, Traditionally, you know, music being something you know about identity, and you know whether it's the hipster crowd or whatever, you know whatever whatever scene you're trying to hit. I think I feel like we're we're not really trying to do that. It's more about just just putting out what we consider to be beautiful music. Yep. And uh, as an artist, I I definitely want to sort of my ultimate goal uh, with JTech, or or possibly maybe not even as JTech, but under like a different alias or something. But my 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 goal is still to write 
music that still takes the world by storm. Like there's, there's, you know, that's, that's still what I'm always sort of striving to achieve. You know, uh, I just think that it's not worth sacrificing your principles in order to do that. So amen. Yeah. We, we and I agree more. I, th- I think with, with posit- positronic, like what, what's happened with that is that it's given me this platform. Uh, it's like very unassuming. It gives us like the ability to, to promote artists in like a similar way that we've done on the podcast. And it's like, it's always going to be a home for my sort of core sound for the progressive sound. You know, I do, I do sort of go outside of that sound every now and then. Like I love, I love to get out of my own skin sometimes. And, uh, yeah. but to come back to that sort of sound is really great. So, um, yeah, we're, we're about to do another mix compilation as well. So we're, we're just starting to collect a bunch of, uh, music for that. So, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a really interesting road for us because last year we basically had, uh, something like, uh, like a handful of releases, maybe like five releases or something under our belt. And then we went, okay, we'll do a mixed compilation. And then suddenly we were signing like 25, uh, different artists. And then, then everything just like stepped up dramatically in terms of the scope and everything like that. And, uh, then we released my third album, which was, you know, once again, just like a, a much bigger undertaking than, than anything we'd done before. So we're, we're still sort of finding our feet and we're still sort of like getting into it. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I'd love to pick your brain as to some lessons that you've learned with regards to like things like digital distribution, online music marketing, what's really made a different difference for you guys in terms of getting your releases in front of eyeballs and, uh, you know, getting people to actually notice the music and see it and interact with it as opposed to it just getting lost in the, in the endless stream of, of consciousness that we now have on Facebook and stuff like that. Well, it's, that's a big question. I'll, I'll do my best to um, cover as many facets of that question as I can. Um, I think ultimately, you know, you, you have to put out music that people respond to. I, I do think that's the number one most important thing that you're, that you're only as good as, you know, the quality of the releases that you put out. Um, I do feel like tools, you know, having tools in your toolbox, like, a, you know, a great promo partner, uh, we currently use promo push, um, and I happily give, give them an endorsement because I really love working with them. Um, having those tools and being able to send out promos to a list of relevant contacts gives you the le- legitimate opportunity of getting played on major radio every week. And I genuinely believe that most of the big shows invest the time in listening to, you know, the promos that come their way. I don't think that if, if you're a label or an artist, that's not getting played a lot. I don't think you should curse or, or bl- you know, blame just bad luck on that, that fact. I think at this point in time, you know, your music should be getting to, to the radio directors of those big shows, um, pretty without many obstacles. So, you know, to start, you know, the support that we get, on, for example, group therapy has to do with number one, I think, you know, above and beyond truly enjoying the releases that we're putting out, but also having, you know, convenient tools to send out promos each week and, and reliably sending those, you know, on a Monday morning so that, you know, every Monday our, our, our friends in the industry can count on the latest silk promo. Um, but yeah, covering some other dimensions of that question, I think the biggest mistake that labels make, especially when they start out, is not being able to avoid the temptation of just trying to sign the latest hot property just for the sake of trying to get attention. Um, because it ends up being a transient solution to building a, a, lo- a successful label long term. So I think the biggest 
uh, one of the biggest reasons why we've been able to, to stay active for nearly a decade and, and I think get pretty consistent support on radio is through relationships that we've built from year one with our leading artists and being able to, you know, maintain those relationships and grow with them and, and sort of cultivate an identity around their growth and, and, and have a, have a unique relationship with them. That's not just a relationship where we were able to pay them a big fee on a given week. And then we no longer work with them, uh, you know, the next year. And I think, I I, think, Oh, on that, that point, mod, th- that model is very successful. Sorry, go ahead. I, I think on that, uh, I think on that point, I do feel like actually uh, the human interaction element is actually quite important. I think, like as far yeah, as I as totally far as music agree. opportunities go, and uh, just getting your name out there and getting your foot in the door involves it often involves being on the ground and actually meeting people in person and actually getting getting to know people so that they actually have some kind of impetus to to invest some time in you and. Uh, it's in, in checking out your music and and making things happen for you, basically, you know, like, yes, I guess w- when sure. I was, uh, I think I signed I signed my first record deal when I was sixteen, and back then I, I was kind of seeing the world through rose colored glasses a little bit. I was kind of thinking that like once I had got the, like a record out there, that everything else would just sort of take care of itself from there, and that has happened for like a very 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 small handful of people. There are a few artists who who have such a spark that as soon as their music is noticed, they're set, you know, but I had, the, I had it in my head that I was going to make like tens of thousands of dollars out of like releasing a record, which, which used to happen to be fair right, a long right. time ago, but basically just doesn't happen anymore. And, uh, I kind of had the wrong impression about it a little bit. Like I thought I was going to, I, I didn't realize how much, how much more of myself I needed to put into it beyond just like sitting in front of a computer and making music in order to actually make everything happen. You know, it was it was only after I started traveling and after I started sort of spending more time at events and actually being in the real world uh, with this stuff that that's what made the biggest difference. You know, so I always kind of wanted to take over the world uh, when I was like in Australia. You know, I was like, I'm going to go out into the world. And I'm going to do this like electronic music stuff. But the mm. truth was that I I never really even experienced that scene for what it was until like quite a while after I'd started releasing music. So, I mean, something I would say to people, like some advice I would give to upcoming producers is like, if you're living somewhere where there's like a decent scene for the kind of music you're doing, like be present at the, at the events and the shows that are going on, you know, um, and just, just be in the room, you know, be part of the conversation. Cause I think that's much more important than, uh, you know, throwing some kind of like empty pitch to somebody who has no interest in you whatsoever, you know, like back, like when I first started sending out demos, it was like, on CD to Australian record labels and uh, right. I'd send yeah. out all these little post packs and uh, nothing ever came back. You know, it was, I, I was just yeah. like, I was just shooting into the wind basically and, and hoping that something hit. So yeah, I think well, it's, I mean, that's, that's It continues to the, the opportunities to interact with people continue to increase with each passing year. And also the efficiency that you, you know, it, the, the quality of the communication is improving in terms of the digital opportunities that are available. You know, having things like Skype and now, you know, Slack, uh, not to mention, you know, just basic Facebook chat and, and Google Hangouts, you can have high quality interactions through your computer now, which you, which when you were starting out, obviously you couldn't do that. You, you really had to put in the FaceTime literally to get a real feel for someone, you know, yep. email, email wasn't, wasn't enough to get, to really get to feel the soul of the person that you were working with. But now you, you sort of can. And, and, and if you're able to allocate time once a week 
to make a Skype call to, a, to someone in the industry that you're trying to, to work more with. And then that, that really goes a long way. It's, I mean, we've been lucky that you and I, for example, have had a chance to hang out on a handful of occasions over the years in various cities. I'm, tr- I'm thinking of three or four right now off the top of my head, but that you and I, where you and I have met at gigs or just to have dinner. But unfortunately, you know, you don't always have that luxury. There are many artists who live in corners of the globe where it's, it's really just quite challenging for them to travel outside of their continent, let alone, you know, across an ocean to come to the States or, you know, to play a gig. So it's, yeah, so you, so you do need to rely on a scheduled meeting time so that you can foster those relationships. And I could not agree with you more that that ends up becoming the watershed aspect of the relationship that ends up putting you above your competitors when, when that artist decides if they want to work with you again, or, you know, that person decides that they want to do business with you again, they remember, Oh yeah, I really, really enjoyed the chat we had last, you know, last month when we talked on Skype and he seems like a decent person that, you know, has, has good principles and and is doing things for the right reasons. And yeah, it will be fun to work with him again. I think that goes a long way. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's also, we're living in an age where it's really, really easy to collaborate over the internet too. And, uh, that's something I recommend people do a lot more because, uh, especially with this kind of music, like yep. the, th- the thing with progressive house music, especially underground progressive house music and any kind of underground electronic music is it's really hard to, to necessarily sell it sometimes if it's just coming from a single artist. But if you, yeah. if, if you are like, pooling your your resources and your and your skills with somebody else who complements what you're doing it can be so beneficial you know and you you can do it with things like splice you know which will which will sync your projects like between multiple computers whenever like a, like a change is made basically and uh you can you can send projects back and forth in like more yeah. like traditional ways as well and yeah i just i just feel like that's a really good thing because um firstly you learn a lot like whenever i've done a collaboration with someone i've always looked at the project and gone like oh wow like look at the way that they do this or like look at this crazy effect that they're using which i didn't realize was part of the software i never even noticed it before and uh people often sort of fill in the blanks of certain things that you're not particularly good at as well which can be really good you know so it's good it's good to sort of team up with people who uh maybe like a differing style from you but also complement the sound that you're doing so um yeah. Absolutely. And so, so you commented on some of the tools that are available to make collaboration, to, to facilitate collaboration, but from a, you know, from a philosophical perspective or, or not philosophical, but from a, a music business perspective, um, that, that's, that strategy has been u- utilized, uh, you know, for as long as I can remember, for as long, for as long as I can remember studying music business, you know, being uh, an artist working with other artists to help bring help bring a new audience or or perhaps better said to validate the lesser known artist um and you know one of the ways going back to your to your last question one of the ways that you can ultimately end up gaining a consistent following is through consistent validation whether it's through a radio show or through some kind of highly visible blog or magazine and so what you know one of the things that i highly recommend for, for aspiring artists is, you know, to, to really do their best to get those opportunities to remix a well-known artist or even better yet to have a chance to collaborate with a well-known artist because you will get pulled up into their orbit, um, and, and gain a new following and more importantly, gain a level of validation that's required to get past 
that the, the part of the market that just has a good ear for music and can allow you to get exposed to the bigger part of the market that really needs their favorite artist to validate you first before they they're going to give you a chance. Yeah. Something else I would, I would recommend to people is I had a really good saying once, which, which is, um, fire bullets until you hit something and then fire cannons. And just, uh, I sort of backtrack to what, to, to what I was saying before about like shooting into the wind. Like it definitely doesn't help to just message an artist and be like, here's a link to my SoundCloud. Check out this tune. Cause I, I get like a ton of messages like that. And w- to be fair, we, we do check out a lot of them cause we're looking for new demos and we're always, we're always keen to hear new music, but it's good to have some sort of targeted ideas. Uh, but I, th- I think what, what most people do is they sort of go and try something, you know, they try and get like a certain remix job or they try and sort of get something signed to a certain label and then it doesn't work. And so they just go, Oh, okay. When what you really need to do is, is you need to be sort of really thinking about like a number of different targets that you should have in terms of like people that you, that might be good to collaborate with and pe- you know, labels that might be good to work with all this kind of stuff and just make your presence yeah. known to a lot of different people and wait for some, wait for something to bite and wait for somebody to go. Yeah, actually we, we are really interested in that. So, you know, send us your stuff and we'll see what happens. So, so like one example of doing this kind of thing that I would say is if you're a producer and you've got 50 or a hundred or even more projects that you never ended up finishing, but that you were really kind of happy with, but you, you just, they just never saw the light of day. Like why not send a few of those to some of your producer buddies and see if something can come of it, you know, see if some of that time that you've put in and some of that musical, like, awesomeness that you have in this project that never came to fruition see if you can salvage some of that as well you know yeah there have been many silk releases that have followed that trajectory in the past so yeah i totally i totally endorse that strategy that you're recommending yeah i'm th- i'm actually speaking of that I'm, I'm thinking about doing like a uh, a jtech production sampler type thing because um I, I have so many projects that I don't finish because I, I have to finish something in like within a few days i have to get it most most of the musical arrangement fleshed out within a few days or it becomes very, very difficult to finish. And the reason for that is that as time passes, uh, the more time passes, like the more you have to fix when you go back to a project because you're always evolving and expanding. And so it's like, I could go back to something that's like 60% done from a year ago that I'm, that I really am happy with, with a musical idea, but it's going to take me like, it's going to take me two weeks to finish it. Or I could just go and write something, something completely new in like a day. So there's, there's, there's always this kind of, it's like training a muscle. It's like you, it's like you're working out training for the big day when you actually have the track that is going to go out there into the world. Like you should, you shouldn't release everything that you write, but at the same time, it is good to, to actually just make use of some of the, some of the work that you've already put in and some of the, some of the, the, the hard yards that you've already done. And so that's, um, especially with, once again, with an, with an underground musician with, with your career, you always have to be thinking like this. You always have to be sort of thinking like, what have I already got that I can make use of that's going to help me here? You know, cause I think it's like, yeah. it's, say like in a studio, for example, people are like, well, I like my music, but if I just had like this different pair of speakers or if I, you know, if I could afford this like suite of software that I want, then like things would be really good. And like that would definitely open up some more opportunities for you. But I think a lot of the time people don't actually just like look at what they have and, uh, and, and the skills they have and the, and the connections that they have and the resources that they have. So that's, that's something that's really interesting for me. And, uh, I'm always sort of looking out for that kind of stuff. I'm always looking out for all of my sort of business relationships that I have. And I'm looking at like where everything's at. And I'm, I'm always sort of trying to forecast like what would be the next sort of best steps, you know, but it, it, it ultimately can, it is all a big gamble. A lot of the time, it, it can be very hard to actually sort of 
give structure to the, to something with this kind of music because it's such a such an unknown sometimes you don't really know if uh you don't know if people are going to like the music as much as, as you think, or you don't know if it's going to sell as well as you think it does. And then I think sometimes when things go really, really well, it, it's usually like you, you, you could never have seen it coming. Yeah. So it can be that's, very, that's it, very true. It can be very volatile. And that's why I sort of think like you really need to be making use of, of all the opportunities that you have um, and the skills that you have in order to sort of really, so that you're not like, you're not doing yourself a, a disservice by having a sort of half baked career, you know? Right. Well, I guess I, I, I would caution both labels and artists against just sort of having the mentality that, it, that it's totally arbitrary and kind of, you know, shot in the dark with a lot of, you know, with from release to release and whether or not they're going to get the exposure they're you know, expecting from a particular single. I, I used to, I, I personally used to be more like that. I used to feel like, well we might have one release on silk and it, it, it received a ton of radio support and the sales were relatively strong. And I'd feel like there was justice in the world. And then the next release, um, I felt was of equal quality and it didn't quite get the support. And I would just, I would, I would feel really just, I would feel confused and sort of cynical and, and, and just, and, and feeling sort of feeling very vulnerable about not knowing, not having a real grasp of, what leads to consistent sales and, and, and what types of strategies are sustainable. And eventually I started, I started trusting the experts more. And I think that's, that's probably one of my favorite expressions that I end up using about 10 times a week, which is obviously very basic. And it's not, I'm not suggesting that it's a very profound catchphrase, but you know, trusting the experts goes a long way. Um, it's amazing to me actually that mo it's amazing that mo I would say that most labels that I know, most artists that I know s seem to kind of go their own way and, and attempt to, they attempt to, to approach music business in a way that feels comfortable to them, but is not actually the way that the experts are approaching business. And then it's amazing that they then feel so c confused and disappointed when they're not succeeding. And that might sound like a snarky comment. I'm, I don't intend it to be. It's more like if you're really feeling lost in this, in this, in this industry, it, it makes sense at that point to, to stop relying on your own instincts and stop just making decisions based on your own comfort zone. And at that juncture, try relying on the decisions that have been made by the leaders in the niche that you occupy especially the leaders who you admire and whose business model you respect in terms of their principles. And if you follow that, if you follow that guideline of, of, of trusting the experts and, and looking up to the industry leaders, again, whose, whose principles you respect, not just who are you know, who, the, the, the ones that are making a lot of money, I think you'll find in, immediate results. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll start noticing that even if you can't explain why you're succeeding, you are going to have results that were unexpected, positive results, because there may be some business principle that you don't have the awareness to grasp or the academic understanding of music business to grasp. But if you, if you defer to the experts, you're going to, you're, you're eventually you're going to have the chance to extract the, 
the principle behind it that led to that being the right decision. So there is sort of a leap of faith there, but it's not a leap of faith in, the, in, a, in a sense of like just taking a shot in the dark. It's actually a guided business principle. You're trusting someone who has a history of success and who already has a following and whose principles you admire. And you have every reason then to believe that, it, that whatever they're doing will also translate to your model. And that's been, that's, that's been a big help for us. And I don't have to, you know, I, I, I'm not embarrassed to say that for Silk, probably the biggest inspiration for us from a music business standpoint over the years has been Anjuna. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the core artist model was the, the idea of sort of, you know, hitching the label success to the success of a handful of of artists whose sound ends up defining your label. That's a model that, that Anjuna established back in the early two thousands with, you know, a group of guys that, end up, that to this day, you know, most of whom they still work with. And that was, that was my personal inspiration for, you know, wanting to scout and then ultimately work long-term, you know, with a, a few artists back in, you know, the earlier part of this decade. And, you know, if you're, if you're a fan of our label, you know who those guys are. It's, I don't have to tell you who they are. You know who the artists are that have worked with Silk for five, six, seven, eight years and have, who have released multiple albums. Yeah. And with, without their loyalty, I don't think we would be a relevant label. I really don't. I don't think that Silk would be a legitimate entity in this industry if we didn't have their loyalty and their respect and, and their leadership musically to sort of define our sound. Yeah, like so, I, yeah. I would definitely say, like with Positronic, I've we've certainly taken a page from from the Anjuna book as well, and that's that's I just I I can't help but do that because we I used to do A and R for Anjuna, and I used to live in London, so I used to sort of be in the office like on a reasonably regular basis, and I was just around the kind of workflow that they had for such a long time that it just became how I think about things, you know, like just the way the way we put out releases and stuff. It, it's it, it's a very very similar format, and I think actually like. A lot of the, especially like progressive and trans labels do follow a very, very similar format, but that's just because it's, it's a really good way of doing things, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think th their focus has yeah. always been a little bit different. You know, they've always been really striving to take it as, as far as it can possibly go and to be a, a big team sort of all coming together to make these like big things happen, like really, really big events happen. But I think there's, there's so much that you can learn, like you said, from, um, from like the format of the releases and, it's, Absolutely. There's the minutia, the, the, the small details can, uh, can ultimately add up to yeah. really big differences in, 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 in revenue and overall exposure of your label. So I'm actually suggesting not only to focus on sort of the, the, the big strategies that are guiding labels that, you know, that you respect, but also looking at the minutia, looking at the looking at how each individual release is promoted from the beginning to the end, looking at looking at how releases are presented on, on various social media platforms and ways of optimizing exposure on each of those platforms and and, and deriving important lessons from from those observations. I mean, I, th I think a good example of that is uh, I think like a progressive release or a trance release uh, on one of these labels it tends to be like another chapter in the story, you know, it's like, because, because say like, say Anjuna have like this kind of uniform artwork that they use across every single release. Um, right. It's sort of, yeah, it, it's, it's like, a, it's like a chapter in this continuing story that's been going for like a decade now. 
rather than any one particular release having this huge gravitas that like draws a lot of attention to it. I mean, every, every release does get attention, but it's also, it's part of like the greater whole, you know? And that's what's, right. that's, I guess, you know, it's, it's like with their events and stuff like that. And, and the, the big uh, radio broadcast shows that they put on, it's all of these chapters coming together in one, in one big hit, you know? And so that's something I think is really cool. The way that there are all these kind of classic records from the label that come, that come from all of these different kind of people. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I'm also glad you brought up cover art because that's obviously, you know, an area where we've departed from the conventional wisdom. Um, we, if you're familiar with silk music cover art, we always use photographs yep. um, as the inspiration for our covers. And I bring that up, um, not as a, as, as an opportunity to, uh, to give more exposure to silk, but just to point out that, you know, yes, you can, you should be extracting important lessons in music business from, from the leaders and from the ones you admire. Um, but you can also kind of personalize them in a way that makes your label unique. So I also, I, I want to, in the same breath, also caution labels from completely copying their favorite labels, which I've also seen happen much to the detriment of that, that label. Um, you clearly have to have a unique stamp, a unique verse, uh, to share, um, to, to, to have, have any kind of chance of long-term success and to have any kind of branding identity. Uh, so, you know, try to personalize the principles that you're gaining in, in the industry in a way that, that informs your own business plan and, and your own brand without ripping off your uh, heroes. And that might seem like an obvious point, but unfortunately you'll even see labels literally copying fonts and, and the exact layouts of covers yeah. of their favorite labels, and which is why I wanted to mention this. And that's definitely not a good idea. That's not what I'm endorsing. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you, you know, you literally copy and paste templates that have been created um, by your, your favorite labels, but you can extract principles and ideas that will inform your business that um, ultimately will change, will change how you promote your releases and, and change the, um, the approach you take to, to different aspects of your business that will be, that'll become essential to growing and, and, and succeeding. Where, where do you see Silk going from here? Now that you've got this sort of big, big, uh, family of labels, you've got things like Silk TV, which is like a really cool concept as well. You know, uh, you've, you've got the radio show, um, where, where, where do you want to take it from here? Where do you, where do you want to see Silk go over the next few years? Well, just, just to be hundred percent clear on this point, we, we really have pared it down to just silk music. So we, we don't even consider ourselves a family of labels anymore. We're, okay. we're yep, yep. really trying to kind of to iron home that point because we still actually get that question quite often. Um, well, I shouldn't say quite often, but you know, it pops up when people are wondering what happened to silk Royal or silk sofa. We, we are truly just silk music now. Yep. Um, I think you reach a point where you have, a, you have a really hard decision to make which is, are you content with the authenticity with the, of your brand? Are you content with the, the relationships that you've already built and maximizing those relationships? Or are you going to operate like any other capitalistic enterprise and just always proceed from a place of, of, of wanting to grow, grow, grow at all costs or at, at any cost? And I think in our niche, Jimbo, I think that you can't expect to have the kind of exponential growth 
that other entities might have the, the luxury of experiencing based on the fact that they're using image and style and, uh, and the attractiveness of the people um, involved to help sell the music, which is sort of how, how pop music has always operated. Um, whereas, you know, in, in our case, we're, we're, we're using music almost exclusively, the music itself exclusively to sell the music. Maybe, you know, we are using, you know, artwork, um, if, in our case, you know, photograph based artwork, um, to help, you know, give a better sense of, of the emotions behind a song. But yeah, we're, we're, we're not, a, we're not a label that, um, tries to, we're, we're not trying to build our brand based on some sense of, of image or, or hipness. And that's, and that's not, not convenient. It's very inconvenient for us that we're not doing that, um, that we're not selling it on some sense of identity or, um, that's, that has to do with, you know, with being cool and, and being part of a subculture that's cool. Uh, so yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is growth for silk and perhaps for positronic most likely will be more incremental rather than exponential unless you're willing to take that plunge of like, okay, this style of music is really popular right now. I'm going to sign this style of music exclusively, or I'm going to focus on artists that have an image that young, young people are really responding to. And they think that guy is cool and they're going to buy their music because they, they want to be associated with, the coolness of that person rather than really caring that much about the music itself. You know what? Like, I, I think you can really do both. This is, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that say if Positronic were, were to start looking at, at signing artists from the perspective of like, you know, what is this person going to bring to our growth? You know, I think yeah, we, we would, right. we would lose a lot of the essence of, of what we are, but I think there's totally room in this world to have some projects that are about quality and some that are about quantity, you know, because I, I, I think the difference between these two worlds is that, like you said, it's like you, you, the music is, is the focal point and the entry point for your decision-making process with Silk, for example, right? Yeah. Whereas I think with like a much, you know, some kind of much bigger operation, whether it be like in the pop world or whether it be like a, just a bigger thing in the dance music world, it's more about the human, like, it's the, it's the fascination that, that people have with artists and the image and stuff like that. And so what you have is this community, this music community where people are probably much more interested in the person themselves than whatever music is coming out of them, you know, like, and I think there it's, it's, it's probably fair to say that there are a lot of events where people are turning up and paying a ticket to see the DJ because they really want to see, because they've heard so much about this DJ because everybody's talking about them, but they might not have actually heard any of their music and might not be right. super interested in, in, you know, no, no, like perhaps that there hasn't been that step of the process of like, Oh, like what kind of, what music does this person actually do? And, and is it good? You know? Um, but I, I just think these are two kind of different separate systems that run alongside each other. And I think so. you're saying that they're not mutually exclusive. There's a way to kind of combine both in a, in a way that's still genuine and authentic to the brand. I, I, I think what I, what I'm also mean is that I think it's fine to keep an underground venture like confined to the underground and if you want something that is going to have that kind of big sort of viral impact of and that sort of completely different different frame of mind just do it in like a separate project you know like just do it as something separately and i would say this to a lot of artists as well is is uh 
If you are an artist who is known for a certain sound, it's often not very good to sort of do a 180 on the kind of style that you're doing and change. You know, some people do it. Some people just like, some people sort of sell out and then bear the brunt of the fan base not being too happy about it. And then eventually the world just kind of moves on and, and then everything's fine. But I, I sort of think like, if you want to do something like that, if you, if you want to have a change, I think like the best thing to do is to do it under like a, a separate thing, you know, because then there's no expectations yeah. of what that thing is or, and nobody's going to be upset if it's, if it is sort of like a bit vacuous and, and devoid of, of musical musicality. Yes. You know? But, but uh, yeah, Jimbo, I also want to clarify something. I, I, I'm not taking like an ethical stand against that approach. I don't, I don't have a crusade against people who, whose goal is, to, you know, if, if they if your goal is just to get maximum exposure and you decide to take a route where it's, you know, it's, it's a bit more of a, the, the, of the road of, of less resistance and it's more mainstream. I don't, I, a younger me would, would be using words like, yeah, that's selling out or that's, you know, morally bankrupt. I don't have any ethical objections with it. If that's really your, that's really what you want out of your career. I'm just suggesting that for, for our brand to have our specific brand, to have authenticity based on our specific business plan, it would be very difficult for us to suddenly have experience exponential growth unless we were willing to bend our, our business principles and potentially values as well, where we started, instead of signing music that we loved, we started using filters like this artist only has 8,000 Facebook fans. Well, actually that's a pretty good amount of Facebook fans. This artist only has 800 Facebook fans. I'd love to sign their track, but we're probably not going to get a lot of sales because that guy can't really promote his music effectively. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a slippery slope and you'd be shocked how many labels actually use filters like that to define, to determine their process for signing music. Yeah. And those are the kind of decisions that you have to make. Again, if, if you have a strict business plan of we're trying to sell most copies or we're trying to grow as quickly as possible on social media. Um, and they're really hard decisions to make. I, I don't admire my, my peers who, who have to struggle through those types of decisions every day like I do. But ultimately, you know, it's, it comes down to what are your goals? And I, and I think, I th and what I'm, what I'm saying, based on your initial question of, of where, where does Silk want to go from here? I think we've decided, and I, th I think I speak for my team in saying this, I think we've decided that for as long as Silk Music exists, we're just going to sign music that we love. And if it ends up selling 10 tracks because that artist has five Facebook fans, so be it. And we will never sign a track that just fits a, a hot property genre or taps into the, the, what's, what's considered to be the hip subculture of electronic music at that moment in time. Yep. You know, which, which you and I could at any moment in time could say, okay, this style of music is considered really cool and edgy and hip. You know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious based on what beatport trends and, and sort of social media trends, what that is. And, I don't think that will ever guide Silk Music's business plan. So I guess our goals are to continue supporting the artists who we've been working with for years and whose music we genuinely believe is the best representation of uh, intelligent, emotional, soulful, uh, meditative electronic music. Yeah, that's really it.
I'm, I'm glad you used that word, actually, because for me, there is such a spiritual side to this kind of music, and that's always been the most important thing to me. And um, some of the some of the music that's been the most special to me uh, is the kind of stuff that I put into like my um, my Christmas beats mixes every year, and I have like a winter ambient mix as well. Oh, I, I love those mixes. I'm I'm very familiar with them. Yeah, and there's like there's a lot of silk surface stuff in there over the years as well. You know, um, and that's I think that is the most important thing to me. I've I've personally never actually looked at what music we're going to release from that kind of. I've never really thought about having that kind of filter of like you know what's the what's the minimum hugeness of of, of an artist that we're going to have. In fact, pretty much yeah, every, everyone yeah. that we've signed so far, nearly everyone has been relatively unheard of. You know, which which to me is is Let the me most exciting. You thing. Just for a second, uh, and I, I I promise this will be the first and last time I interrupt you in this you know this discussion. Believe it or not. It's if you really want to get cynical about this scene, it even it even can guide the choices that you make if if you allow it. It can even start determining the songs that you select for a radio show, because if you're if you're interested in maximum exposure, then you start thinking about well, this artist is going to get more hit hits from SEO, you know, from from Google. And so if I start featuring some buzzworthy artists in my mix, now suddenly my radio show is going to reach new audiences. So, you know, this, this type of psychology of, of trying to reach the maximum audience can end up compromising the art quite a bit. I definitely. Think. definitely. Um, and so what you just said, I want, and that's why, you know, I interrupted you because I just wanted to seize upon that point. When you make that chill out mix, in theory, you could play the, the chill out track on, a major electronic music artist's latest album, the, the outro track from their latest album, you know, that one song that actually is a, a little bit more atmospheric and relaxed and, and just use that as your filter. And then, and then to be quite frank, JTEC's Christmas beats would end up getting two, three, five times as many hits yeah. on, on, you know, SoundCloud and perhaps even, you know, through your podcast. But that's obviously not been your filter for all these years. You've always just played the songs that are the most inspiring to you at that moment in time. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's this idea of finding a diamond in the rough is 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 what it's all about for me. You know, that's that's what the podcast has always been about. But I I still I still do hold out this kind of faith that it is possible to occasionally with a bit with a bit of luck and a bit of magic, it is possible to occasionally marry these two worlds and have a have a crossover record as they call it, which is, which I always just saw, I always saw as just another word for commercial, but crossover appeal is kind of like, is it, is it impossible for a, a, a track that follows the format of something like a silk or a positronic record to just have a certain sweet vocal in it or something that, that works in such a way that it does take the world by storm. And it, and it has that virality without any designed kind of, you know, without any calculated plan for it to be like that no, it's definitely possible it's you know, definitely possible yeah, that's no, that's the holy grail for me you know if, if you can do that that's that's when you're winning i think and there and there are a handful of artists who do it and some and i think i think everyone does it at some point in their career you know like it sort, it sort of comes and goes like that a little bit you know sometimes sometimes the pure quality of something can be enough to to, to light that spark but it, it is hard it's difficult and it's not something that you can really reproduce again and again and again uh, as far as I know, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's not the sort of thing that you can really just manufacture. Yeah. So, um, well, I think an interesting question for you, Jimbo would be, what do you, in, in, in this, in, at this moment in the evolution of music business, what do you consider to be a hit? What, 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 what are the hallmarks of a hit? 
what, what kind of what would what would what are what types of evidence would you be looking at? What types of you know what data points would you um, be looking at to determine whether something is, is is a crossover hit? I think something. Okay, so I watched this Daft Punk documentary the other day. I really recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. It's, I think it's called Daft Punk Unchained. It's yeah, Daft, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. it's on Netflix. You can you can go and check it out. And uh, it's a re- it's a really cool story of like their. Uh, their sort of their transition from the the world of like underground raves in France to being on top of the world and like playing at the Grammys or whatever it is and 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 you know scoring big big films and and their transition from the underground into the overground and uh, it wasn't really like a such a one eighty degree turn in what they were doing it was that the overall kind of musical essence and and the, the essence of what they were onto with their music eventually just like couldn't be held down anymore it just sort of took off into the stratosphere basically and 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 yeah. the music community was like oh you're not really sort of underground anymore that's like one of the sort of points that they're making the documentary is oh like are you, right. so are you guys still an underground actor or are you, are you going overground now and it's sort of like well we kind of have to like it's just this is just this is just where it's gone you know um so yeah so i, I would look at something like one more time by daft punk like when i think about that song i think about the fact that it's taken the whole world by storm because of the vibes in it you know and and just it's you know when as soon as those chords come in and as soon as that like big kick drum comes in for the first time and especially if you've seen that interstellar 5555 um dvd that they made which is like this multi-million dollar like anime production from one of their favorite japanese animators who made this who made their entire sadly i haven't seen it but it sounds really cool well it's like it's an animated feature I'm not really 100% sure what the story is because there's not really any dialogue and it's 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 sort of a little bit um ambiguous in in the, in the storytelling but like when that song is playing when when one more time is playing in this movie it's at this like big anime rave that's like in space or something and it's in the future and everyone's just having like a great time you know and that's that's what that's what really excites me I think is this is this kind of like putting that track out is like taking a match and lighting it and just throwing it into fuel basically it's just like they they just lit the match and and it just goes you know and it's it's based on the music itself and it's it's got nothing to do i'm sure i'm sure they had like great management and i'm sure i i imagine it was like a well done release um by the record label but at the same time it's not because it was optimized it's not because of like anything to do with like seo hits or anything like that it's just that like everybody was talking about it and everybody you know and uh that's 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 a that's a great question that we could i'm sure we could spend an hour just dissecting the success <laughs> of daft punk um i you know i i love daft punk i i think digital love i i think that's the name of the song i think that might be my all-time favorite track by them and i mean i think that song you know if you were just in a room and didn't have a chance to to look at the artists behind it their branding or anything else you'd still think that that piece of music would be would would, would be timeless and uplifting and incredibly emotional yeah. So I believe that I believe that they're deserving of their success, but you couldn't have picked a better example of a group whose branding is has transcended the music to such an extent. Uh, I mean, literally, these guys created outer space electronic music. I mean, they they created a brand, a completely unique brand of you know what it would be like to listen to 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 you know be at a rave. On, on another planet and everything from the studio setups to the, you know, to the, uh, 
to the logo, to, to their costume. I mean, everything taps into this, to this concept. And I guess it's authentic. I mean, I guess that's really their, their art, artistic identity. I, I guess that's who they are artistically and that's genuine, but I just don't think it's that easy for most artists to create a persona like that. Oh, definitely. Like, like that, that transcends their music and that ends up becoming the gravitas for why people end up checking out their music. Who are these guys that are wearing these suits, these robot suits on stage? Guys like you and let's just pick a few names randomly. Shingo Nakamura, Vintage and Morelli, some of the artists that are, um, you know, I would say, the most successful right now in our specific niche. These are guys that um, are extremely accessible. They're, they're willing to talk to you on Facebook if you write them a message. They don't wear costumes. They they're they're professionals. They have full time careers outside of their music, outside of the music that's known to the world. There isn't any mystique or beyond, you know, what the mystique that you derive from the music itself. You may you may extrapolate certain certain conclusions about who they are as people, and you might get seduced by the mythology of Shingo Nakamura and who he is, you know, what his childhood might've been like and what led him to the style of music. And that might lead to your, this awe that you may have of them as an artist, but they don't have the luxury of, you know, of the, the image and lifestyle component adding to this, this larger than life persona. Yeah. L like, like a Daft Punk, like a Skrillex whose hairstyle is even bigger than his music. I mean, or, or a dead mouse. Um, I know these are pretty obvious examples and I hope these don't sound like, like I'm, you know, again, I'm like, I'm stating the obvious or that I'm insulting the intelligence of the listeners out there, but really I can't stress enough how important that aspect, that, that, that facet of their career ultimately ends up being for the, their success, you know, having this, this, this larger than life narrative outside of just the music that, that ends up attracting the largest share of the market, not, you know, getting past just the people who, who have a good ear for, for, for music. And unfortunately for us, we, we only, we typically only attract the part of the market, which are known as the early adopters, the, the, the people who have a fantastic ear for music, very refined, experienced ear. And they could, they could be sitting in darkness with a pair of headphones and they'd hear a Shingo Nakamura track and it would not matter what he looks like, his ethnicity, his, his, um, cultural experience, um, the photos he puts up on his Instagram, they hear it and they know this is special and this is sacred and they're going to become a lifelong fan. And that that's, that part of the market is, you know, 10% or, or less. Yeah. And, um, for, for a, a so-called hit, to emerge from our scene. Um, there has so many, so many things have to come together, but typically it requires a major entity like a Spotify to unexpectedly champion the song. So we would need some major industry players to get behind the track and give it, give it that additional boost to all of their, to their networks yeah. and expose the song to such a high volume of people that even if we pick up an extra 10% of those people that represents an exponentially wider audience than we usually get. Yeah. 
And we've seen this happen before with um, an example that that you know and, and many fans of our music know. It would be you know the YouTube channel Mr. Suicide Sheep. Yeah, here's a channel that has five million subscribers. Well, if Mr. Suicide Sheep says that this is a good song and it's worth your time, then people are going to listen. And even if only one percent of the of, of his subscribers start listening to that artist permanently, that could represent an exponential increase in that artist's fan base just in just in a single moment from the moment that that song is uploaded to that channel. Yeah. And so I, I sort of, I think that's sort of where it's heading if it's not already there where, you know, if you, if you want to remain true to your principles and not try to accommodate trends or use filters that are artificial to determine who you work with, you can do that and still grow at, at, at a significant clip, maybe not exponentially year to year, but grow at a significant amount year to year. If you're willing to work with third party channels and, and entities that can, can validate your music and, and just by virtue of the numbers game, expose your songs to a wider audience. Yeah. Well, you've, you've got me thinking a lot about like the, the, the filters that are good to apply to, to your business model and, and the ones that should be avoided, you know, I think it can be very hard to see the, 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 the true path a lot of the time, or it's, it can be very hard to find what the most important sort of thing that you should be focusing on is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, which filters would you be comfortable with as a, as the head honcho of Positronic, which, which do you think, which filters would you be potentially willing, would you be willing to explore this year uh, and beyond? Let me, let me think about this. <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I'd be willing to take on an artist who's recognized in our scene, who is a bit more prominent if their music is, is, has something that I, that I love about it. You know, it like if, uh, what would be a good example? Like maybe somebody who was really, really prominent in like the progressive house scene, you know, say like Hernan Catania came along and said okay. like, I want to do something for Positronic, <laughs> which I, to be honest, I can't quite yeah. see happening, but it would probably be something more along the lines of techno or whatever that then we would normally release, but it would still have a connection to what we're doing that would make it make sense. You know, I don't think it would be like diluting the brand too much, or I don't think it would be hurting anybody like greatly to, to do that kind of thing, you know? And I think I would also be happy to release something that's a great song, you know, like, although we are sort of, we are primarily like a progressive house label. There's nothing sort of saying that we can't release something outside of that if it's really good and it and it still has something to do with with what we're doing as long as it's relevant you know i think like the filter that i that i would not be interested in doing is um is the is the numbers game i think it's like how many followers does this artist have because i'm just not interested in that you know like i'm definitely interested in expanding the following always that's that's you know i i I always do want to i want more and more people to discover this stuff but yeah i I think that's i think that's totally fair uh, with what you what you're suggesting and that and to me at least i don't believe that you're compromising your values by, by being open to, you know, to signing uh, Ernan Cotneo. If by chance he has a demo that's sent your way that you respond to, and you think that, you know, it's, it's, it's intelligent and it, and it, it represents your brand. Well, I don't, I don't see that as selling out personally. Yeah. I've always tried to personally take responsibility for anything, not being like big enough, like in my own career, if that makes sense. It's like, if I'm, if I'm doing underground stuff and it's not getting enough appreciation, then it's it's up to me to, to change that. It's up to me to, to find a way. If I want to have like the purest form of underground music that I can have and I want to have recognition, then I need to find a way to make that happen, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, so, no, that I, makes sense. Look, can I, can, I offer, can I offer a filter that I think might be helpful? 
okay. to you. Um, and it's one that I'm, I'm trying to be more conscious of myself with Silk. I, I truly will sign anything, even if, it's, even if the artist responsible is, has five Facebook fans. But I, I am disappointed, at the least disappointed, and perhaps even turned off permanently by an artist who just refuses to get involved with social media, that doesn't see it as a priority, doesn't, doesn't take it seriously. Again, I don't care. The artist could have 10 fans. That's fine with me. But if they're, if they're not actually making an effort to, to build some kind of identity on social media, that is a problem for me. I think that's, I think that's maybe lazy. In some cases, it's, you know, listen, we all, we all have limited time. And like I said before, a lot of artists actually have full-time careers outside of their music. So it's not necessarily lazy, but in some cases it's, it's, it's just lack of comfort with it or, or laziness. And I think, and I have had conversations with artists on Silk in the past where I've given some kind of stern warning that, you know, this is going to be a problem for you as an, as a musician. I may not have I may not have threatened, you know, cutting ties, but I've, I've made it clear that this is a priority and that we care about it and that you should care about it. And it's going to really benefit you long-term, even though it's very painful to have to hustle when you only have 30 guys, 30 people, you know, when there's only 30 people responding to your, your messages. I think, unfortunately for a lot of artists, it's a, it's a real blow to their self-esteem when Let's take the average silk artist. Um, let's say they have 3,000 Facebook fans. That sounds about right to me. It can be a real blow to one's self-esteem when you put out a post and three people like it or one person likes it. And, and then from that point forward, that artist decides, well, you know, I, I, don't need th- I don't need this in my life. I don't need to be disheartened by the fact that I'm not getting a strong engagement. Well, uh, you know, my response is, I'm sorry, but that's part of the, the beast of the industry that you're in right now. And, and if you stick with it and if you're really paying attention to, you know, a, a different strategies for optimizing your engagement on Facebook or YouTube or SoundCloud, whatever the portal may be, eventually you're going to grow a community and they're going to respond to you in a way that's going to be really gratifying. And, you know, you and I have talked about this personally, and I know that um, you've experienced, you've actually I don't, I don't want to speak for you, Jimbo, but I know that you've sort of stretched your comfort zone with social media. Maybe you want to speak on that before I put words in your mouth. But I th- I've, I've, I've noticed as a bystander that it's been very effective for you. Well, I mean, one thing that I definitely had to change about myself was this concept of like giving a crap about whether people are engaging with my posts or not. I put something out there now and it's like, I don't care if it's present, if it's not formatted as well as it could be. I, I don't really care if you know, if Facebook throttles it and only like 10% of the people see it that I thought were going to see it, which happens all the time, by the way, um, like that is kind of beyond my control. And, uh, I think to, to really be disheartened by that kind of stuff, yeah, yeah, you're, you're causing yourself unnecessary stress over something that you can't really do anything about. Like at the moment, the, the way it's sort of presented to you is like, well, you can do something about it by paying for your post. Right. I understand that that makes sense when it's like buy our new product or, you know, like I, I totally get that that, make, that makes sense sometimes. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm personally about to give um, my whole sort of social media, like a, a, a paradigm shift um, because I feel like I'm not doing an, enough different kinds of posts. And I, I tend to just like 
throw content at people. I'm just like, here's the latest podcast. Like here's the latest studio talk, like go and get it. Like, you know, that's a lot of, I I always feel like I have to be giving people something that they can go and consume. If that makes sense. Um, I'm not very, I'm not very good at like, taking selfies and, and like I, I do it sometimes, you know, like, well, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I was hinting at. I was hoping you'd touch on that on selfies <laughs> because it's, to be honest, it's probably the type of post ironically that artists in our specific community are the least comfortable doing. And it's one of the most successful types of posts. Definitely. Definitely. Which and- is, which could, which might be a, a perfect metaphor for the challenges that we face in, in our specific niche, but yeah, keep going. Yeah. What I'm going to change is I'm going to try and just firstly, I'm going to, I'm going to try to have things like uh, a day a week recommending music from other people to people and stuff like that. And that's a post that I know, like it'll have like a Spotify link or a SoundCloud link. And that's a post that I know will not do well because it's got content linked in it, which means that automatically only like a handful of people will see it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And you know, I, I think it's just good to have a mix. People are like, once again, this is, this is all about like what filter you're applying. Like, do you want your Facebook to be the most effective Facebook ever? Then just post pictures of yourself, like right, doing selfies right. all the time. Basically, basically, yeah. If that's, yeah. But I think it's good to have like a mix. What's actually been cool is, uh, having a Patreon as well. It's the people, it's the people who love the content enough to actually like tip a few bucks for it on a monthly basis. And it, it's this kind of like, gated community so to speak so i've got kind of like the facebook where i post sort of like everyday stuff and and all that kind of thing but then on the patreon it's a very 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 small group of people that i know like they really want to know what happens next and so that's cool because it's been a place where i can like post a track that i'm like an unfinished track that i'm working on like here's here's a project that's in pieces and uh isn't quite solved yet but like here it is and and here goes like what do you think you know and it's just it's a completely different sort of platform where i can where it's it's just a lot more honest somehow so yeah, I guess, um, that, that whole posturing, that Facebook posturing thing, like it was, it was getting to me for a while there. It was like, ah, oh, I feel dirty doing this. I, I, I don't feel like I'm being my, my genuine self. You know? I think your experience is, 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 is the common one. I think that what you're describing, I think most of your listeners that are, that are artists themselves can identify with really strongly. And I'm, and I know, I know for a fact that every, everyone who's involved on, on Facebook, at least, you know, at least once a week, maybe in some cases, you know, more frequently experiences that pain of, Oh man, I thought this was kind of a a cool thing that I'm sharing. Why is it not getting a lot of traffic? And that can be disheartening and it can be discouraging. Well, it it makes me wonder how many people out there are actually posting stuff on Facebook going like, Oh yes, I love Facebook. Like I love posting this stuff on Facebook. Like, or like aren't aren't most people posting this necessary evil because we're stuck with it. You know, it's like, it's like, well, you have to be on Facebook. Like there's no choice because if you're not on Facebook, you, where are you? Like, like this is where all the stuff is now, you know? Yeah. Well, let me make two points quickly. And we, and this is an area of, of, of interest for me. And I, I actually could, would love to speak at length just about Facebook with you um, at some point. Maybe that'll be our next chat. But um, interestingly, and I think this will be beneficial to a lot of folks out there. S- we've experienced the least amount of growth on Facebook relative to a- all the other major social media networks. Can I, can I actually just um, throw in a point here is like, yeah, if, sure. If you look at like a graph of like how my networks have grown over the last few years, yeah. Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, it's all just on like a steady rise. Facebook was on like a steady rise for a few years and then just flatlined, just hit like a total plateau and, 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 and hasn't that's, grown that's ever happening since. For a lot of, that's happening 
I think across the board, there definitely are some outliers. Um, so I definitely want to, you know, to share that, that piece of advice with the folks out there that are involved as artists and label and as, as label managers, you know, that don't overemphasize Facebook because if the, the algorithm of Facebook is not set up as well as YouTube, for example, in terms of spreading organically, you know, content that's, that's popular. So yeah. you really, you need, you, you do need to shift your resources there if you're, if you're spending most of your time on Facebook, but going back to the point of, you know, do you give up on something because you're not seeing results? Well, no, you don't, uh, you know, as, for as long as it's still relevant to the business model. So in other words, if you can, if you can prove analytically that a successful Facebook post directly leads to um, a certain goal that you have in your business plan, like maybe it's, maybe it's just sales on stores, then it's still relevant. But if you're not, if you can't, if you can't verify that link, I mean, if you can't actually corroborate that, that Facebook traffic is leading to some greater goal and you have to make a decision about where to allocate your time and resources and most, and most labels in our scene really struggle with, you know, with having enough time to, to handle all these networks. Perhaps you may have to give Facebook a rest and, and focus on YouTube in 2016, 2017 and not, and, and, and really minimize the amount of FaceTime you put in on, on Facebook. So that's, that's something that you have to track. You have to be, you really have to be professional about looking at the data, looking at which networks are growing, which ones are stagnant, um, whether or not it's really your fault or whether or not it's more about the, the network itself, not really being engineered for what you're trying to accomplish, which I think is safe to say for Facebook to some extent that it's not really designed well for an independent music label to grow. Whereas YouTube, for example, is obviously, um, you know, has proven to be quite successful for a lot of independent channels. If when, when done, uh, when executed, uh, optimally. So, um, yeah, well, I, I haven't had a chance yet to mention in this interview that, or this discussion that, uh, we're, that I do also work for Proton, which is a distribution company. And we, we've signed 900 labels at this point in time. I'm officially the account manager of Proton. So basically I help labels with all of their day-to-day needs, um, and help them, you know, get their music on various stores like Spotify. And I can say from, from that vantage point, I can tell you without any doubt that it is a game of, of being able to whisper in the ear of a specific Spotify curator and being so that he, so that your track can get featured on a curated playlist. Okay. So in other, in other words, it's not, it's not an, a, a, a merit based system. It's not, it's not a system that's, be, you know, you have a song that's truly a standout track on your label. Therefore it's going to get a million hits on Spotify. I wish, I wish that Spotify, what I wish it were the, or the one platform that was truly, you know, meritocratic and that would, you know, would reward songs that deserved um, the most exposure. But like most things in this world, it's really not how it works. Um, I'm so, I'm sorry to tell you that I, I know that sounds really cynical and, and dark, but it's, it's really, it's truly an honest and, and educated opinion. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty eye opening. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be interested to know more about that. And in fact, uh, anyone who's listening, um, if anyone's sort of, sort of been paying attention to 
the sort of flow of how things go on Spotify and 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 I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on this as well as as to where they th- where they think the Spotify hits are coming from and and, and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, well, yeah. There's, I mean, there are there are a few playlists that have millions of subscribers that are you know based around EDM. And if you're if you have a relationship with Spotify, if you're a major label, and you have a relationship with a Spotify curator in their team, then you, the likelihood of one of your new releases being featured there is is exceedingly higher than the than the the run of the mill independent label. Um, I think the outliers from what I've seen, from what I've observed firsthand, the outliers are tracks that perhaps got some play on a major radio show. So let's say, um, let's say the latest JTAC single got played everywhere, got played on group therapy, it got played on a state of trance. It's, it's been featured on literally the biggest radio platforms in our niche. It's possible that one of the curators then heard that song and then when it finally arrived on the release day, without you having to say anything, without you having to write an email or putting in a word with anyone, a curator decided, okay, I remember hear, see, hearing this song on group therapy or, you know, I remember seeing it on social media somewhere. I guess I'll, I, I kind of like this track. Let's put it, let's put it up on the playlist. But generally speaking, if you look at those playlists, it's a game of, you know, if you're, if you're a, if you're a major player, you're most likely you're going to be the one that gets that gets the advantage of the Spotify support. Fair enough, but I, I also think maybe there isn't that much of a difference between, say, a curator putting a track in a Spotify playlist and, say, above and beyond playing it on group therapy. You know, like I, I think. Oh, say I f- think it's totally different, to be honest, because I, I can tell you, I, I know group therapy's process is completely based. If, if they on on their appreciation of a song, I mean, if they if they like a song and it and it sounds good in the show. For, for sure, for sure. But yeah. uh, but it's also like, say, for example, I mean, like a lot of the stuff that we put out on, on Positronic and a lot of a lot of the tracks that I release on my own label go, end up like just going on the radio show like the following Friday night. And I'm I'm sure there there is some degree of like, well, we know this guy, and um, because I am I am in some way affiliated with him, I, I that no doubt you know gives me like more of a chance of having my stuff played on this show than somebody who's completely unknown. Un- you know, yeah, unconsciously. You know, or, you know, I'm sh- I'm sure the fact that you're friends with the Injuna family definitely has an impact. But I, there have been so many cases of songs where you know, uh, from our label that I was 100 percent sure would get play, would play on major radio because it was it was such a phenomenal. You know, I consider it to be such a standout club track, and I guess it just didn't it didn't really fit in the set that particular week. It just didn't quite fit the flow of the set. So, you know, that particular host wasn't able to feature it in spite of, you know, my preexisting relationship with that label family or, you know, or, or all of the, all of the signs leading to that conclusion. And then there's been a week where a completely unknown artist has, has no following on social media, relatively no following on social media, um, has no, political interest to that label. In other words, it's not like an artist that they're signing themselves and they want to help support. They get played. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's, I think it's honest to draw the conclusion. I think it's, it's a fair conclusion that it, that group therapy at least is much more merit based than perhaps any other platform. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny that you, like you were, you were mentioning about say maybe like a, a, an inroad to like getting a big play on Spotify is having your music like supported on like a big radio station. But I think say, say your music gets supported on a big radio station and that generates you a certain amount of interest or attention or income. That's still basically like 
you're still lucky to have to it's basically like a stroke of luck in a way it's like you know you have sort of struck gold in a way if a radio dj like a big radio station like plays your track as part of their playlist maybe the spotify that's that's the way that spotify like playlists you know the curated playlist should be seen i I, I guess definitely it's definitely a huge financial boost i think the original question though was is it what's the process behind it is is it is it a situation where you can expect spotify to be this um this sort of democratic egalitarian system of you know of, of the fair system where you know if you you can now count on Spotify to expose your music to a wider audience. Unlike a lot of other networks, I I've initially had that hope. Um, and I'm not convinced it really works that way unless you establish a strong rapport with a curator who then gets to know your, your label and your artists. And then you can start counting on regular support. Um, I look forward to hearing more perspectives on this. I, I, I would love to be proven wrong on this point. So you yeah, know, I, whenever, I mean, whenever you post this, please, guys that are, that are listening, comment on this particular point. If you've seen outliers out there that are that are not playing the game or are independent labels and are getting consistent support on Spotify playlists, please show us some examples. That would be really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm 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 very hopeful about Spotify overall, and I think I think uh, you know even if there are some systems that need to be worked out, I th- I think the overall impact that it's had and the fact that they've that, that they've executed the whole thing so well. I think ultimately is going to be a good thing for all of us. You know, it, I, I think it is a really I, good I place. I agree to more and it's growing. It's, ing- it's unlike many, unlike a lot of stores, traditional stores without naming names, Spotify is growing really fast and the amount of users are multiplying year to year, let alone, you know, even month to month. So, um, yeah, I think I, I would definitely encourage artists and labels to really get on the Spotify train because that's where major labels are paying, focusing their attention now. And that should be the ultimate signal to you that it's, it's worth your time. It's yeah. worth your time to focus on that. So it, we're Jimbo, you and I are fundamentally agreeing that Spotify is, is, is worth prioritizing at this point in time. My only, my only concern and, and, and lingering doubt is whether it'll ever be a merit-based system whether there will ever be a system where they'll use some kind of filter to curate, like, for example, having a, have a team of, of, of curators that from various genres that are just listening to sort of the latest demos, almost like a radio show or latest promos. And then they, they decide, Oh, these songs are really, are really powerful, really profound and really beautiful. And we really want to feature these just because they're great songs. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm waiting to see a playlist that's, that's derived from that model. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like just mentioning all of this, it makes me sort of think that you actually see this kind of thing in, in many, many different systems, like within this industry of like something new happens and there's a potential to make more money than before, or there's a potential to get more attention than before, more exposure. And I think people do kind of like dive in on it and perhaps people wall themselves off once they have it and, and create this kind of inner circle that the outside sort of can't get into. I think that's, I think in many ways, that's kind of like a force of nature in that that's just, that's just, it's, it's sort of like, it's, um, it's a force of capitalism. Yeah. It's yeah. how capitalism has worked since, since the, since, since that economic system was first introduced. Totally. It's, it's a, a minority of people controlling the majority of resources. Yeah. Um, so, and that will always be the case. I think even in music business, to some extent, um, that it will, to some extent, it will be a pyramid scheme 
um, that unfortunately only a few people can really benefit. Um, in, 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 in most, most, uh, I would say like, you know, organizations and hierarchies, whether it's a label or, um, you know, a store or service like a Spotify, it's, it's inevitably that seems to be the, the, uh, the force of nature, like you said. Yeah. But I think that's why the world needs labels like ours more than ever, you know, is because what we do have, you're right that it's grown incrementally and not exponentially, but I think that also gives us this kind of solid foundation where we're not expected to come up with something explosively epic every week or something like that. You know, we, we have a bit of space. We have the time and the space to actually put out the music that we, that we really love and actually have a, a democratic system of our own, basically, you know? And, yeah. um, I think we can, yeah, that's, we can that's do right. That's, that's why having your own networks is so powerful. And, and it's yeah. like this great, it's this great leveling mechanism, right? I mean, you could be, I always joke about this. You could be a 10 year old kid who wakes up in the morning, rolls out of bed in his underwear and uploads music for a living onto his YouTube channel. And, and believe it or not, there are examples of that now of teenagers who are millionaires from, you know, from, from having a strong YouTube following. And it's, and yeah, and it's kind of empower. I mean, it's kind of exciting, right? It's, it's exciting to think that a, a be, someone working out of their bedroom, um, without the industry contacts could theoretically become a power player like that. Yeah. So, so I'm really excited about, I mean, that excites me. I, I think it's, I think one of the biggest inspirations for me day to day is the fact that Silk could grow through our, you know, can grow through our own organic networks. That's where I pay my, that's where I focus my attention each day. Yeah. Um, to answer an earlier question. Um, but I th again, I think, I, I just think it's very important to be aware, uh, be aware of what's going on so that you don't, so that you don't allow yourself to get disenchanted and disillusioned by, by not having a quote hit, by not having a million hits on Spotify. If you're not paying attention, it's, I think it, it, it's very easy to become depressed and disillusion in this industry. Um, be aware of the opportunities that are truly available to you and be aware of the ones that are not and don't spend, don't dedicate your time chasing birds, trying to become the next big Facebook page. If that's not really a legitimate opportunity for, for your label to become a, a million followers, uh, yeah, to a label page with a, with a million followers, you know, focus your attention in places where you're seeing organic growth, where you're seeing a response, and it's also fitting your business plan and fitting, you know, fitting your principles. Yeah. But yeah, I, we were talking about this, I think last week, I, I'd love to see uh, Positronic get on the YouTube train and, you know, you know, definitely, you know, start pushing content there. And I think that, you know, over a few years, you'll start seeing really nice growth. We definitely, yeah, I definitely need to sort of get on, on that. And I actually, um, I might look into actually putting this show on, on YouTube as well, because... Yeah, I think that's I, a great idea. I think it's probably a, a perfect place for it, to be honest. Because the, the last one we, we did, I actually did like a, a bit of a live video stream as well via Facebook Live video. Um, but that was just yeah. like filming me talking, basically. So it, was, it wasn't like the most amazing <laughs> live stream ever. But actually, like doing this kind of thing of a video chat would be a really good thing for YouTube, too. You'd, you'd be surprised. There are, some, there are some famous academics, guys that are, you know, that that have podcasts that have now, um, put their shows out on YouTube and literally have no like animated or dynamic content in their videos. It's just like a static image for two hours. And some of those links get a lot of hits because 
some people just prefer to use YouTube as their source of, you know, for, for anything, any content, whether it's music or radio. And so they don't really care if they're not, it doesn't really bother them. Um, if there's something really visual per se to keep their attention, they just want to have it as a backdrop or in their headphones. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it might surprise you that it's not necessarily, um, essential to have really dynamic footage in your video, in your videos in order to have a, a huge success with a particular upload. I, I actually find with most of like the progressive house tracks that are posted, like it's basically just, you need like a scantily clad chick <laughs> sunning herself on a Tra- rock. That's, like- that's a tragic, that's a tragic reality. And <laughs> I've, it, it, it may have worked for a few outliers, but if you dig a, li- a little deeper there, there are literally thousands of pages that do that. Yeah. I mean, just, just <laughs> in our, just in like, you know, house tr- trance progressive, just in our niche, let alone in various other, you know, uh, seriously like youtube is like, like is like the home of like progressive house with a side order of boobs <laughs> it's just it's, it's amazing <laughs> yeah that's that's a good quote from the show i think we, that needs to be, yeah, that'll be like the, that'll be like the tagline on the, on, the, on the facebook post yeah. but yeah i mean but there's there's something that's, there's a lesson to be learned just from that i think like i think that that we can kind of bring together a lot of the topics that we talked about today just from that one <laughs> humorous point because it's like okay here's a way that we can gain a lot of attention from certain types of fans. We can put up naked pictures of people as the, as the, the thumbnail as the hook. or the background of YouTube. What's it may lead to more followers, possibly it could, you could grow your channel faster. Are you actually accomplishing if, if the, your business plan is just to, to get as many YouTube followers as possible, then you're achieving your goal. And maybe that's a, maybe that's a, uh, a compromise you have to make if you really, if, if, if that's really your focus, but, th- but then, you know, it begs the question, right? Like, are, what does it do to your brand? Are you, are you doing more harm to your brand? Are you, are you alienating the types of fans that will lead to sustainable long-term success that'll actually buy your music? If that's another one of your goals, yep. you know, it's interesting. A lot of the YouTube channels that are successful, that's literally their one and only product is their YouTube channel. It's, it's having a successful YouTube channel. So they're not conflicted by all of the other considerations that a music label would be, would have to grapple with. Like, is this decent? Is, are we infringing on someone's copyright? Are we, you know, are we, uh, is this, is this ethical and putting a sample of someone else's music in this song that I just happened to get as a free download and now I'm uploading it to my channel. So in many ways, Positronic and Silk Music are um, stymied. We're impeded by a wider range of considerations, mostly like just ethical considerations that prevent us from having, from growing as fast as a lot of other channels. But I think that's a good thing is what I'm trying to say. I think that if you look at your business plan as a whole and look at, you know, all of the, all of the, the, the many goals you may have, um, not just growing a YouTube channel, but also obviously growing a, 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 an organic community that really cares about your content. You don't want to alienate people that have high standards about artwork. You, know, you don't want to alienate a fan who thinks that objectifying women is in, indecent and, and disgusting and shouldn't be used to represent your, your, in any way your, your, your content. I think, I think actually you've hit on a good point here, which is that like the average fan of 
forward-thinking music is, to me, a much more valuable fan than, say, someone... When, when somebody's, like, a really, really big name and, you know, everybody's talking about them and their music's, like, very, very simple and, you know, but there's, like, for, for, for more discerning music listeners, there's nothing really in it for them. It's, like, you may have, like, a lot of fans, but how many of them have, like, a real connection to this music, you know? Like, how many... How many how, Absolutely. And I mean, like, that's, that's less certainly depth, why you know? we're doing it, right? I mean, you and I, that's what we care about. We care about the true fans. If for, for those of you out there that are just, that are just entering music business or have been in around for a while and, and, and really all you care about now is, is trying to make the most money to, to sustain your, your, your living or to, or to pay, pay your rent. That's totally valid. I'm, I'm not, again, a younger me would have said that's, that's, that's selling out. Listen, um, there's uh, to each his own, you know, if, if, if you just want to, if you just care about building a really big YouTube channel, you may decide at some point to put up a, a half naked woman on as your cover photo. And that might be a, a means to an end. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but again, this, here's a moment to reflect. Here's a moment to reflect on what are your goals? What are your, <laughs> what are your principles and what do you really care about? Is, is it about just growing as fast as possible? Is it about is it just, is it just that classic capitalistic model of more, 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 you know, and, and would it by any means necessary or, or ultimately do you just care about, um, growing a, a sustainable, organic, authentic community based around an authentic product and, 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 and something that really inspires people and, and is different and is, um, is, is, is done for the right reasons. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my, my philosophical, uh, my, my, my musings for the day. That's great. Well, it's been, it's been an amazing conversation. Like I, I always knew that you, like, I always know that when I have a conversation with you, it's going to be a gold mine of like really cool, useful information. And that's, you know, I, th- I think basically like the last time we had a Skype call, it was a conversation like this. And I think I said something like, let's record this next time, you know? <laughs> and yeah, yeah so I'm, we I'm glad, I'm glad we finally did. Morning, yeah, I yeah. recall, I think I was, we were talking uh, very late on my side, but we, I couldn't hang up the phone because we were, we were hitting, hitting some very, uh, personal topics and stuff, you know, like, like today, things that are really, really interesting to us, really interesting, um, areas to explore about music business and probably, probably philosophy in general. Yeah. But I, I do think, I do think there's a lot to be hopeful about with our kind of music at the moment. I, I think with like the underground kind of music world has just weathered a storm the likes of which we perhaps had never, ever seen before. And I really think that's clearing up now. You know, like, I, th- I, think, I think things are going to head in a good direction from here because there's just so, many, so much potential and so many possibilities for, for new ways to promote this music and, and, to discover, and for new people to discover it as well. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to what sort of happens over the next few years, both with, both with my label and with yours and just with, like, the music scene in general. That's, that's a nice way to... to, to you know, close out this conversation because I really, I, I, I too wanted to leave listeners with a more of a positive conclusion. Um, I can't emphasize enough, um, how valuable, you know, using your own networks ultimately ends up being for the success, long-term success of your, of your label, not, not having to rely on third parties as much because those are so incons- they can be so inconsistent and unpredictable. Um, like I said before, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily always have the luxury of sustainable support from a Spotify or a particular radio show. So, um, I guess 
the one, yeah, I, w- I would like to echo your sentiment that there is a reason to be hopeful, especially if you're investing your time in building your own organic networks. Yeah. And that, that I guess could also include relationships, sustainable relationships with third parties who have an interest in a long-term relationship, you know, that, that really care about growing with you, that, that, that see the value of supporting you in exchange for receiving great content, great musical content. It, in theory, when you work with a blog or a radio show or a Spotify curator, in theory, it should be a, muni- a mutually beneficial relationship. It's not, it really shouldn't be viewed Object- objectively, it should not be viewed as calling in a favor. You know, if in a perfect world, they should view it. If, if you really believe in your music, um, the third party should see it as a great opportunity for their own channel and their own brands to, you know, to, to enhance the quality of, of whatever they're putting out. So yeah, if you can, if you can cultivate those relationships, um, that'll really help, uh, accelerate your, the growth of your label. And um, I mentioned a few uh, examples like, like the Suicide Sheeps, um, the third-party blogs, the third-party YouTube channels that can give you that extra push and can give your artists a level, artists a level of exposure and validation that unfortunately they may, they may need to get over, get over the part of the graph of the market share that is just the early adopters and, and, and pass through the, the big part of the, of, of that curve, which is, you know, the, the part of the market that really needs, needs their favorite portals to validate whatever, whatever they, they choose to listen to or watch. Yeah. And so I would, thank I would, you. Thank you for your, thanks, man. I, I really loved, I loved speaking to, to you today about these topics and it's, I'm very passionate about music business almost as much as I am about the music itself, which yeah. is always the, which will always be the driving force. Right. I mean, if if you don't if you're not passionate about the music you're putting out on your label, I can't imagine ever wanting to be in this industry because there are so many you know there there, there are many heartbreaks and and you ha- you have to weather weather the disappointments and ultimately if you don't believe in the releases each each release then I I just don't see this being the right career path. Yeah, and I, I would also say um you know all all of the uh, all of the details about you know, what is in and what, what are the current trends and stuff like that. All, all of that will fall away eventually. And all that's going to be left is the music that you released. So, and, and that's, that's going to, that's a great point. That's, that's going to, a great out, point. that's going to outlive no, you as yeah. well. You know, it's probably, it's probably going to be around a lot longer than, than, <laughs> than we will be. So, you know, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, with, with YouTube, for example, I mean, really with any store or service that, that in theory will be around forever, these songs don't go anywhere. And they can be re-released in various contexts. And you can even, you know, 20 years later, and I'm, I'm referring directly now to Chicane's last album, 20, you know, 20 years later, you can revive those songs and put out new remixes. And once, once a great song is written, it's, it's truly timeless. And you don't really have to panic if the first week of release, it doesn't have sell a thousand units or doesn't get played on a state of trance or group therapy. You shouldn't panic. If, if you really believe in the song and you're committed to the, the long tail where you're, you're not just going to give up on that song and, and just forget about it because it happens to be past that week of the release cycle then you should, you should remain optimistic that at some point you might have an opportunity to 
expose that song to a wider audience. And that's happened in, by the way, and I can say this with, with all sincerity, that's happened many times with Silk, where we've had songs that were basically ignored in the initial week of release, but we were able to reactivate them and, and um, th- in various packages and contexts and, and third party uh, you know, through, through third parties. And they received a second, third, fourth life. Yeah. And that's a big part of the modern day music business model. That's a big part of, of doing good music business right now is being able, is having the vision to see what a song could do three years down the road, not just the initial week of release. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Actually. That's, that's something we haven't even really had begun to think about yet because we've only been around for a year, you know, but yeah, you yeah, do, that's you, true. It's, it, it's a luxury that, that veteran artists and labels have that newer labels don't for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely, I think I've had a couple of things like that uh, in the past with Anjuna. Like I, we, we did like a JTEC kind of like a, like a, like a roundup of like uh, a, some, like a, my sizable releases from Anjuna over the yeah, course of like a few right, years. Right. You know? Retrospective, we call those. And so, yeah. Excellent, mate. Well, um, as I said before, I, I would be keen to talk about many of these topics in greater length um, at a later date, but I, I would imagine for, for brevity's sake, you probably want to wrap it up today. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's 9 p.m. here, so I'm going to jump on my bike and ride home. So enjoyed talking to you. Um, thanks, guys, for listening. Those of you that managed to slog through this, this chat, I hope that you extracted some interesting uh, business, music business principles and lessons. Could you quickly fire us uh, some, some URLs where people can, can find awesome Silk-related material? Absolutely. Um, rather than bombard you with links, let me just give you our main website, which is Silk hyphen music.com silk dash music.com. Um, if you Google silk music, you can also see a variety of links to all of our portals. I also, I should, I should give a special mention to our YouTube channel because we've really spent the most time this year. I would, I think focused on that particular platform and we're especially proud of the way that we've organized our music there. So if you get a chance, just go to YouTube and search for Silk Music. Um, it's the extent. The URL is Silk Silk Music Channel. That's the extension of the URL. Um, but yeah, um, we're we're approaching I think thirty thousand subscribers, and we're hoping to really continue to, to dedicate a lot of our time to that network. And because we're we're seeing a really nice response from fans there, I'll have to jump on and subscribe to your channel as well. Yet, because uh, I haven't done Thank that you. yet. So yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I'll do that right now. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, this is uh, this is show number three, so we're, uh, we're, we're like we're just getting the ball rolling now. But it's it's been so much fun already, and um, yeah, I, I hope that I can catch you in the USA sometime real soon, which uh, I think is I'm definitely sure on the horizon. I'll catch you at your, your next LA gig. Um, hey, man, you're you're one of the uh, great ambassadors of our music. I know I speak for thousands of people in our community: fans, artists, radio managers, label owners. Um, when I say that you are such a genuine spirit and decent human being, and you've managed to certainly been the paragon of sticking true to your, your, your principles over the years and staying true to your vision of what quality music is and, and now have the opportunity to release your vision on your own label. So cheers to uh, Positronic. I, I wish the, wish you absolutely the best with that label. And um, obviously we're listening and supporting on our own radio shows because we really love your content. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Have a great uh, evening, and uh, yeah, I'll catch you in the States soon. Cool. Thanks, Jake. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. See ya. 
This episode of Studio Talk is proudly brought to you by the brand new Awakening Remixes release that's just come out on Positronic Digital. That's right. It's three awesome new remixes of tracks from my third artist album, Awakening, from LA-based producer Redfield, Las Vegas producer Seti, and of course, No Taker from St. Louis. They're all artists who have featured on the label before, and I'm going to give you a little preview of the remixes today. First up, it's the Seti remix of Visions, my track with Judah featuring Kaylin. up, Redfield remixes Yugen, one of the last tracks on the album. Finally, it's some cool mid-tempo glitchy craziness from Notaker who remixes Future Story. today's show thanks for listening in i hope you enjoyed the talk and the tune previews you can check out the full release of awakening remixes on spotify beatport and itunes thanks for listening in and don't forget you can subscribe to this show as a podcast over at jtechmusic.com forward slash studio talk see you next time studio talk with jtech